Good morning, church. Let's pray, shall we, as we begin? God, as we have sung this morning and been reminded again of your presence and of really the desire within ourselves, God, to be renewed, to be revived, we ask God for a fresh filling of your Spirit in us and among us. God, that the winds of your Spirit would blow through this place, blow through each of our hearts, into our homes, into our fellowship here. God, that we would be a a, a body of Christ that brings you glory. God, that we would be blessed, that we would seek to be a blessing. Even now, this morning, God, as we meditate on your word, God, we pray that the seeds of your word would be planted deep in our hearts, that, God, you would produce from that an abundant harvest, fruit for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen. If you um, were to define the church in one sentence, how would you do that? Think about that. How would you define the church in a single sentence? That question was asked of uh, students at Wheaton College, upperclassmen at Wheaton College. Wheaton College is, as you may know, a decidedly Christian school. And uh, most of those students at Wheaton come from homes and have been in uh, church all their lives. Their answers to that question to define the church in a single sentence, of course, varied. It varied from things like people who are saved and places of worship to opportunity to put on a Sunday disguise and sanctified gossip centers. Not a single student described the church in terms of community or oneness. And their instructor observed that that the church was for them a habit without definition. They had been trained to play church, to do church instead of being the church. The instructor, Dr. Gilbert Bilzekian, wrote this, when Jesus ordained his followers to be salt and light in this world, he expected the fellowship that, that they would form to become a distinctive community that would serve as a model for the world. In the words of Jesus, a city on a hill. This morning I would propose to you that one of the marks of the church, of a healthy missional church, is compelling Christian community. That is our sixth marker of what it means to be a healthy missional church. Again, health is defined as pursuing Christ, thank you. Health is defined as pursuing Christ, and missional is defined as pursuing Christ's priorities in the world. Wow, you're getting this. I'm happy. And what are those priorities? God wants lost people found and hurting people helped. Yeah, it's important for us to keep reviewing that. So the scripture this morning is Acts 2:42 to 47. I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. Uh, it's on page 1057 in the Pew Bible. And we're going to read it together again as we have been over the last couple of weeks. This particular passage gives us a glimpse into the kind of community that the early church experienced. And contrary to what some people think, um, the church was not without its difficulties, not without its problems. Um, 
Sometimes when people say, we should just get back to the way the church was at the beginning, I'm always weary when people say that because I think, have you really read the book of Acts? I mean, do you really know the kind of challenges that they faced as a church? I'm sort of glad for our own problems today. I I don't want theirs. Um, But that aside, what we hear is truly compelling uh, this, uh, this original community of faith as it was being formed in Jerusalem was very compelling. It was attractive. So let's read this together. I'm in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, that whole paragraph. Let's read it together out loud. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the the church at Pentecost, the early church at its inception, is characterized as um, explosive, energetic, dynamic, revolutionary, compelling, and attractive. Scripture says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There was a devotion to the things that were growing them and maturing them in faith, in Christ, including fellowship or community. I hear the word community, and I think of relationships. I think of a network of relationships. In healthy churches, there is a strong sense of community. Healthy churches are social. The church is a divine and yet a human institution, organization, organism of God, of humanity, and so it has a social dynamic. It is a fellowship of believers who are in community with God and community with each other. It is not not a social club. It is not a high society that exists unto itself, but it exists for the sake of the world. Churches that are healthy are characterized by compelling community. There is a strong social dynamic that is attractive. People want to be part of it. We happen to be part of a denomination that that, um, puts a high value on relationships. In fact, it's in our DNA as a denomination, interestingly. Uh, Before we were known as covenanters, way back in history, we were called mission friends. And often the emphasis was on the friendship. At the founding of our denomination in 1885, uh, the passage that was preached, the sermon that was preached, it's from, I think, Psalm 119 or 118. I don't remember the number exactly right now. But the passage is this, I am a friend of all who fear thee. That was the, the word that was spoken at, at our inception, at our beginning. And uh, often when there are differences or disagreements among us, the friendship supersedes the differences. It doesn't always, but that's sort of the ideal in the covenant. And when people put a stake in the ground and they say, you have to believe this or you have to do this or I'm dividing or I'm separating, people say, that's not covenant. We have a commitment to each other. Even when it's difficult, we strive to stay at the table 
because we have this friendship, this relationship. As I said, oftentimes the relationship, the friendships supersede the differences. If we are a healthy church, then our commitment to each other and care for one another will be a powerful testimony of the deity of Jesus. Nothing else can explain how people who are so diverse, so different, can come together and be one. If we are a healthy church, we will value each other as we are, not as we should be. And if we are a healthy church, we will share life together beyond the worship service, beyond Sunday morning. We'll still be engaged with each other's lives throughout the week. As we read the account in Acts, we hear of lives that were radically transformed. Even their pocketbooks were transformed. The community became communal. They sold their possessions. They gave to those who were in need among them. They were meeting daily, it says, in the temple courts, in their homes, eating meals together. It's a far cry from today where church or Christian community is um, crowded out by a myriad of competing options. And families, families don't even eat together Often don't often have meals together today, let alone having meals with other believers, other Christians, other families. Even regular members have become, in many cases, irregular in their church attendance. I don't think that we can or should overlook that Luke says that they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. It was a priority for them. They made it a priority, and the church flourished. I am grateful for this church. I'm grateful for this fellowship. I'm grateful for the friendships that, that I have in this church, but that you also have with each other. That encourages me when I, when I hear the ways that you are connecting with each other and getting together, even outside of this place. That's encouraging to me. At the same time, I get discouraged and saddened by the fact that there are some people who, who don't feel like they're connected, who feel like they're on the outside looking in and having a difficult time getting connected, or maybe circumstances have changed in the circle of friends that they once had here. I think of Mark and Artie Baldwin, who probably will be listening to this podcast, actually. Hey, guys, we miss you. We love you. Uh, who moved to Sweden this summer. And Donna and Bruce Johnson, who moved to Florida. And others who have either passed away or, or have left for other reasons. It leaves a hole. It leaves a hole. Anytime somebody who's part of the family leaves, it hurts. It leaves a hole. They're missed. They should be missed. By the same token, or on the, other, or on the other side of the token, there are new faces and new families at Zion who are eager to find friends and, and be embraced and welcomed by this body. The church is a living organism. It shrinks, it grows, it's always in flux, it's always changing. It's not uncommon, and maybe it's just sort of because of the day that we live in and the mobility of our society and so forth, the church is always changing. I mean, literally, this church, come back, if you walked out the door today and came back in 10 or 12 years, you'd hardly recognize anyone. I mean, most churches are this way. There's just this turnover every 10 or 12 years. Some of you will still be here, but there will be many new faces and people who won't be here anymore. Publish a church directory these days, and it's quickly obsolete. Most of our young people grow up, go off to college, and in our case here in Jamestown, most don't come back to Jamestown. We're lucky for those who do. And so we have that perennial loss as well, and it is a loss. Zion has some amazing, gifted, and godly young people. Uh, our children's ministry, our youth ministries here, 
I think, are doing a great job of, of instilling faith in our, in our young people. And we, we were all witness to it this summer when our young people led us in worship by their own initiative, their own leading. That's huge. And these young people, when they grow up, most of them will be in other places. And God willing, they're going to be leaders in, in, their, in their own churches in other places. Zion has a legacy of being a sending church. Whether we like it or not, we have been that. Which is a blessing as well. Makes us an equipping church of sorts. But I want to say this to the young people who are here today. When your parents no longer make you come to church, and it's okay for a time if they make you come to church, but when they're no longer making you come to church and you come because you want to be here, you are blessing us. You're blessing us even now when you don't want to be here. You are. And I hope also that in some way we are blessing you and you want to be here. And let me say this too. If there comes a time, speaking to the young people here today, if there comes a time for whatever reason that you find yourself walking away from God or away from the church, I want you to hear that God does not walk away from you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He continues to hold you. Even if you think you've walked away, God continues to hold you, okay? And when you come to your senses, <laughs> I want you to know that when you come back, you will discover, you will realize that God never let you go. And if we're a healthy community, you will have discovered that we have never let you go either. So know that you're always welcome to come home. Back to our text. These folks in Jerusalem were committed to being together. And it was creating a buzz, energy, and excitement in Jerusalem. Even those outside the newly forming community were curious and awestruck. They were, they were peering over the fence and saying, what is going on in there, and how can I be part of that? The church was growing largely by attraction before it was ever growing missionally. People wanted to be part of this compelling community that was forming and transforming. When I hear the word compelling, I think of something that is attractive, something that is rousing interest. Uh, it's the kind of faith community that you want to be part of, and once you experience it, you don't want to be uh, away from it. A compelling Christian community is one that above all else loves well. Love, listen, love is a defining mark of the church, not a gushy sentimentality, but a robust and life-giving and life-transforming energy. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you, if, uh, I, uh, that I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another." This is what Jesus taught. This is what Jesus modeled to his disciples. And it was encoded in the DNA of the church through the apostles' teaching and through the Holy Spirit who was poured out on the people, on all believers. Scripture says that God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. So both the DNA of the, of the apostles' teaching and the DNA of the Holy Spirit himself has encoded in the church this need, this desire, this mark, if you will, that defines us as being belonging to God, loving one another. Looking at it from another perspective, you cannot love what you do not value. 
You cannot love what you do not value. Christ-like love means valuing others enough to want their best, to seek their best, to believe the best, even in those who we may perceive as enemies. Love is what fuels empathy and action when people are lost and hurting. Because we value people, it fuels our response to those who are lost and hurting. It is hard, honestly, it is hard to love well. But it is possible, with the Holy Spirit's help, and being reminded of the intrinsic value that is in each and every human being, regardless of who they are, what they believe, how they live, what they do, what they don't do. Each of us is a unique and unrepeatable expression of God. Each of us is made in the divine image, in the image of God. And despite the fall, despite sin, we are to treat each other, believer or unbeliever, with dignity and respect and seek the best for others, and especially so in the household of faith in the family of God, in the church. We need to practice that love everywhere with everyone, but it should especially be true among us here. Whatever else the church is about, it is a society, a community, a family of sisters and brothers in Christ who are committed to each other. It's never perfect. It is never perfect. Sometimes it's far from perfect, but it doesn't settle either. Compelling Christian community is patient, and kind. There's no place for envy, boasting, or pride. It's not rude or self-seeking. Anger is not easily roused. There's no score card kept, no rehearsing of wrongs. Forgiveness flows freely. Evil is addressed, and truth triumphs. Compelling Christian community is one that protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Compelling Christian community is transformational. When people are in close relationship with each other around spiritual matters, doing life together, it shapes who they are and who they are becoming. People's lives are transformed not by rules and manipulation or coercion or guilt or shame, but life on life. Valuing each other and being in close relationship, relationships that will inevitably shape or influence you. It's, it, it's what it means to, to be in community, to, to hold each other, to be held by others, and to be vulnerable in a way that you allow yourself to be shaped or influenced by others. You have something to give to me. I have something to give to you, and we have something to give to the world. The church is a community called to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to be the people that God has made us to be, awakened to God, alive in Christ, and fully alive in our humanity, increasingly Christ-like and renewed daily in the image of God, so that we may enjoy God forever and bring Him glory. Listen, the church doesn't always get it right but when we do, it shines, and it is compelling, and it is a foretaste of what is to come. Last fall, 20 or 25 people, mostly from this church, gathered around the grave of Margie Graves. 
who had no family, who was a ward of the state, and who called this church Zion her family. And she was proud to introduce us as her family when we would visit her at Tanglewood or at Heritage Green. Members of the church would have Margie over to their home during holidays. When we gathered around her grave to remember our sister, to share stories, to honor her life, to thank God for her and to commend her to God, that for me was an example of compelling Christian community. That for me was, that was to me, standing there that day, I was like, today the church got it right. This is the church being church. Margie loved us, we loved her. Margie held us, and we held her until she was released to God. That, to me, is transformational, loving community. And more recently, yesterday and last Saturday, we gathered at the home of one of our members whose, home needed, whose house needed painting, and many from Zion came out and, and helped with that project. We had fun together, we worked together, we blessed and we were blessed. That to me also was an example of compelling Christian community. This last Thursday night our leadership team met, we gathered for, for the business of the church, the, the leaders of our minist various ministry teams were there as well, and uh, we spent nearly the first hour just going around and everyone sharing, some were more vulnerable than others, but sharing what was going on in our lives so that we could be mindful of what, 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 how to be praying for one another uh, and praying with, with each other. We weren't just gathering to do the business of the church. In fact, maybe that first hour is an example of the business of the church. Slowing down, taking the time to connect with each other, to care for one another to share life with each other. Again, look at the early church. First Christian church of Jerusalem was the first megachurch. With several thousand members, a dozen pastors or apostles teaching, but the people met together not only in the temple courts, which were sort of um, wide open spaces, if you will. I imagine they gathered there, and that's where the apostles taught. But then it says they met daily in their homes. So they probably gathered in temple courts they received some instruction, some worship. They went to their homes and, and with, with each other. And I can imagine that they continued having conversation around the things that they just heard. Imagine some of the challenges they faced. Imagine the joys that they experienced. Imagine the stories that were shared or the ways that God was at work in them and around them. It was an amazing time. And Luke says, and God was adding to their number daily, compelling Christian community. I'm going to close with this, uh, to share this with you. John Weberg is um, a beloved saint in the Covenant Church. John is a retired professor from North Park Theological Seminary in Chicago, and uh, John just published his last article in the Covenant Companion in July, and uh, I saved it, and I want to share it with you right now. And if, if just sort of an aside, you know, Zion is a family, if you will, but we're also part of a larger family, the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is part of the whole Christian church. But John is one of those people who, um, 
what I love about John is that he's, uh, he's deeply theological, a deep thinker, and he has this incredible pastoral heart. He has left an indelible mark on the hearts of many pastors in our denomination, and so John has left a mark on our whole church body. And so I want to share with you John's heart, his, this last article that he, I'm not reading the whole article, but just the gist of it. So he recounts the first article that he wrote in the Companion 40 years ago in 1987. He was writing then during Advent, and he wrote of the uninvited visits of shepherds and magi to the newly born Jesus. Shepherds were Jews, he said, who served among the least desirable occupations, and the magi were Gentiles, strangers in every sense of the word. Both groups were guided to the baby Jesus, one group by a star, the other group by angels. And this is what John said, here was Holy Family Parish in the making, built around the Word made flesh by divine calling. This was the church in the making, a hint at the multinational ministry of Jesus and the explosion of Pentecost. And then John notes that as he's writing this last article in the Companion 40 years later, he's drawn back to that theme of the church being formed, of Christian community in the making still. Only as he's writing this time, it's not Advent, it's Lent. And so he thinks again about the circumstances around Jesus' crucifixion, the cross, during the Lenten season. Uh, And he mentions this, during the crucifixion, Jesus asked God to forgive his crucifiers, forgiven Romans. A thief asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom, and Jesus promises him a place, a place in paradise today. There's no postponement to salvation today. Then a centurion, a Roman commander who witnessed Jesus' death and the signs that accompanied it, makes a confession. He praises God and proclaims the innocence of Jesus, declaring him to be the Son of God. This was Gentile acclamation of Jesus. We have the church in the making beneath the cross, John says. And then he writes this. The church that was in the making at the manger and around the cross is now ours to continue to bring to its fullness. This means that the hard work of congregations is to reach out to the diversity of people that God has given and to learn how to be receptive to them. They have been sent by God just as he sent a diversity of people to the manger and to the cross. And John concludes with this. This is his last, his last statement to our church at large. It is a prayer of mine that the church is not resistant to this ever-changing landscape of people at its front door, but learns to welcome them. This is the way God presents his mission to us, for we are in truth the church in the making. End of quote. God is still speaking, still working, still calling and gathering his church, and we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for calling your people from death to life and for gathering us in your church. 
We thank you, God, that for this body, this fellowship, this community of brothers and sisters in Christ, God, fill us with the energy and vitality of your grace that together we may be your people in this congregation and in this community. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.